good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We have finished our studies in the Lord's Prayer, uh, but on some reflection I felt it would be useful to add a little postscript to those studies. And it's actually the postscript that we find in the Lord's own teaching on the Lord's Prayer, as we know it, here in Luke chapter 11. So you'll see that we read through the account in Luke of the Lord's teaching on prayer, and then it led to this postscript parable on the subject of prayers. Let's read from the verse number 1, Luke 11 and the verse number 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. And give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive every one that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, and though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I shall, and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? In all of our studies through the petitions of this prayer taught by our Lord, we have made the point that understanding these petitions will be a great help in our praying. I think the better we understand the will of God in prayer, then we will pray those prayers that are indeed answered in the courts of heaven. And that is God's will, that as we pray his will, he hears and answers our prayers but whilst intellectually understanding these petitions is a help, it does not in and itself make prayer easy. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. It is the product of conversion. And we think again of the words of our Lord regarding Saul of Tarsus, that the indication of his conversion was, Behold, he prayeth every believer without exception, has the indwelling Holy Spirit. So every believer cries, Abba, Father. Yet experience and the Word teach us that prayer is incredibly difficult. 
There are many hindrances to overcome if we are to pray and continue in prayer. And I think it is this matter of perseverance in prayer that leads to the Lord giving this parable. And the sense of the parable and its explanation is on the matter of persevering in prayer. And so the Lord has helpfully given us this postscript to his teaching in prayer. He's given us this postscript in the instruction and in the parable that's set before us. So what I want to do is I want to simply look at the story with you to begin with. The story that is before us here. It is, it is a parable. And the word parable comes from the, uh, the Greek language itself. And there are two words uh, that are compounded in that word. The word to throw. We have our word, English word, ball, from that word. The word to throw, you throw a ball. And the word para, which speaks of some things that are beside, parallel lines are beside each other. And so the word parable speaks of throwing something beside something else. Hence the idea is that a parable teaches a spiritual truth by way of comparison. That's the sense. Things that are thrown beside each other by way of comparison. Hence, the children often learn that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or a physical story with a spiritual meaning. And that, that is true. But our task as interpreters is to look at the story and then draw the proper lesson through this use of comparison. Now, we should remember that the comparison is not always a comparison of similarity. Uh, so often the parables are, are taught in that way. They are direct similarities. The sower sows the seed. Similar to the preacher of the Word sowing the seed of the Word of God. There's similarities. But that's not always the case. The, the root sense is the, the sense of comparison. And sometimes that comparison is by way of contrast. And so what you must do in the interpretation of parables is, well, you, you must initially seek to understand the story. And then often as we seek to understand the story, there are clues that will then give us the answer to the spiritual lesson that we're looking for in the parable. The story we have here is a friend, verse 5, arriving at midnight. You could certainly say this person coming at midnight has arrived at the wrong time, come later than expected. Now, we shouldn't, we shouldn't judge this traveling friend too harshly. Uh, I think verse 6 indicates that this person is on a journey and has somehow got waylaid on his journey and finds himself near the house of a friend. And so therefore the journey is terminated prematurely and he then comes to the friend's house at midnight. He got lost on the way, and we can appreciate that. But as the friend arrives at midnight, it is, it is not an expected arrival. And what makes all the things worse is there is no food in the house. Now, in Greek or in the Eastern cultures, it is a matter of great offense not to offer hospitality. We have accounts, of course, in the Old Testament where people arrive in cities and they're invited into the home to stay. And there's, uh, there's food served as they stay in the home. And that is proper hospitality. And so the friend who has now had his door knocked at midnight finds himself in trouble. There is no food in the house. And the only solution is for the host to go to the house of another friend. 
And that's what he does. We have that in the verse number five, which of you shall have a friend? And so go unto him at midnight, friend, lend me three loaves. He then gives a reason for the need. Uh, this other friend has arrived. There's no food to set before him. And he's now coming in desire of these three loaves. Now, the friend himself, his response is not encouraging. Don't bother me. That's the essence of it. Put it another way, please go away. It's midnight. The children are in beds, and so am I. That's the nature of the hour. This is that the house is shut up for the night. And so he says, I, I cannot rise and give thee. It's completely understandable that the house should be troubled at such a late hour. But the friend does not give up. The word importunity is used in verse number eight. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise. He doesn't get what he wants because, because they're friends. That's what it says, isn't it? Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Importunity. Not friendship is the cause stated here for the friend receiving the three loaves that he desires. Of course, it makes us think of the parable we're told in Luke chapter 18, where the Lord spoke a parable unto this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, and it is the importunate widow. And so the story, the parable, is emphasizing the importance of of importunity. So having thought about the story, uh, let's think about the significance of the story. What are the lessons that we are to learn? Well, again, remember when you're seeking to interpret a parable, you look for the mean truth. And you do that by seeing the story, by seeing clues in the context, and then the context and the story point you in the direction of the mean truth. We have it here. The context, of course, is prayer. That's obvious. The context before is an instruction to prayer, and the context following is the instruction of prayer. Verse number 9, ask and it shall be given you. Verse number 13 even, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? It's clearly about prayer. And therefore, the obvious lesson is that we are to learn the importance of persistence and importunity in the place of prayer. Now, the comparison, I've said already, may not only reveal truth by way of similarity, but also reveals truth by how God is unlike the story. Luke 18, God is not like the unjust judge. And here, God is not like the sleeping friend. So we're to learn. But it benefit from the fact that God is different. The sleeping friend answers to importunity. How much more will God, who is not like that sleeping friend? Don't we sometimes find ourselves not praying? Because we believe that God wouldn't be concerned or interested in our prayers. Is it not the case at times? that we believe God is just like the reluctant sleeping friend? Is it not the case that we would dare to come to the throne of grace in prayer 
And we hear the language of verse number 7. We imagine that God, and it's irreverent, it's unbelieving. We imagine that God would say, trouble me not. And the point of the parable is that God is not like this reluctant, unconcerned friend. We succumb to unbelief when we think that our needs are great, but that God wouldn't think they are great needs. We succumb to unbelief and we believe that our needs are too small for God to be concerned with. It's unbelief. Now, you, you might not put words to that unbelief, but there are things in your life that are important and yet you don't pray about them. And I suggest to you that part of the reason is that you believe that God does not want to be troubled with things of what may be of minimal significance. To feel that God is indifferent to our needs is to deny the Scriptures, to deny what the Lord reveals about Himself. The hairs of our heads are numbered. He's aware of the minutiae of our daily lives. The God who puts the stars in space, the God who has the king's heart in his hand, is the God that cares for the sparrow that falls from the sky. And this is the God revealed in the Bible. And God is not unconcerned about our needs. And that is not simply me speculating regarding this particular verse. You have the contrast given to us actually in verse number 13. As the parable is interpreted about the need of asking, the metaphor changes from the friend to the evil father. Now, the word evil there, I believe, is being used in a comparative, that compared to God, we are not morally good. There is none good but God. Therefore, we can say that we being evil, but the contrast is there. If you being evil give good gifts, how much more? That's the point. How much more? Your heavenly Father is greater than the kindest earthly Father. Your heavenly Father is more concerned than this reluctant, unconcerned friend. God is willing to give an answer to our prayers. One of the things that often comes up in the discussions regarding prayer is how does prayer achieve anything if everything is predetermined by the sovereign God? Now, we, we answer that on one level, and we say, well, it is God's will that His will is done in answer to prayer. But this is actually going further than that. Because here we are seeing that not only is God's will done by answering our first prayer, but God's will is only done when we persist in prayer. And so our persistence in prayer is the means that God uses to perform His will. Now, I understand there's mysteries there, but that is clearly what the Son of God is teaching in this particular passage. The Bible states, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And we'll come back to those words very shortly. 
So God is so much more than our friend. Oh yes, in Christ he is our friend that sits closer than a brother, but God is also our Father, our Heavenly Father, verse 13. We enter into triune fellowship with the living God. And when we come to know salvation, we come to know grace, we enter into fellowship with this living God, whereby our Father is pleased to hear the prayers we offer through the Son by the work of the Spirit. And so God is not like the sleeping friend. That's the first thing we should learn. But the second thing we should learn by way of lesson is that we are to be like the importunate friend. That, I've said, is the main lesson. And we know that from what follows in verse 9 and following. Because uh, perhaps some of you are wondering, what is importunity? Uh, It's a word we don't tend to use very often. And so importunity is here explained by Christ himself. I don't need to go to Webster or the Oxford English Dictionary. I can see Christ teaching here to define what importunity is and what it looks like. And we're, we're told here. So let me explain it to you. In spiritual terms, the importunate believer is not hesitant in approaching God with his needs. This friend came to the friend at midnight How much more should we be willing to come to God? He has proven his love and his generosity in Christ Jesus in saving us, in providing for us up to this point. And yet so often the last place we turn to in our needs is the throne of grace. We often try to fix things ourselves. And after after having tried to fix it ourselves, we then decide, well, it's about time I prayed. Do nothing until you pray. And then do everything after you pray. And then do everything after you pray. And then pray some more. And that's the spirit of belief in the Word of God. The importunate believer is not hesitant to approach God with his needs. The importunate believer, though, in the second place, does not give up in his approach to God. That's the, the main sense of this word importunate. It is the sense of persistence keeping on, keeping on. Now, there's so much to think about and reflect upon in the theology of prayer. What sort of prayers does God answer? Well, prayers that are with the the right motive, that's important. We can ask amiss, James says. We must pray with an eye to the glory of God. We must make sure we pray the right requests, things that are in the revealed will of God. We must ensure that we make the right approach only in Christ's blood and righteousness. But when we pray with the right motive and the right request coming in Christ's name, and even then God may not answer our prayers at our first request. Got to recognize that. Whenever you're praying over a matter and there is no obvious answer, yes, examine your heart. What is your motive? What are you praying for? Have you made the proper approach? Yes, you must do that. But when you assess that and think through that, you must understand that wait does not mean no. And even if wait means no for now, we are encouraged to keep on asking. We're encouraged to ask 
And the words that are used here in verse 9, ask and seek and knock, are in the tense and the grammar that speak of ask and keep on asking. This is often said when you look at this verse, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. So, the believer is not hesitant. And the importunate believer is persistent. And thirdly, the importunate believer shows increasing urgency in his approach to God. This is not a static thing. There's intensity and a building of intensity in the words of verse number 9. Ask, seek, knock. They are rising in the sense of urgency. Urgency in prayer is, is so very, very important. Please turn to James, James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, we have again, one of the most famous portions of Scripture regarding the, uh, the matter of prayer. You have the context of the elders praying over the sick, and we're not going to deal with that at this point. But you have the assurance that the prayer of faith shall save the sick, verse number 15. And then, as that is explained by James, in verse 16 he says this, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passion as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And so you get the point. Here's a Elijah being used as an example of effectual, fervent praying. And literally, when it says he prayed earnestly, it's saying he prayed in his praying. There was a, a burden of his soul, hence his praying they are fervent prayers, verse 16. I've been in very, very few meetings where I've really sensed the Spirit of God coming down and giving us fervency in prayer. It's a rare commodity. We pray the right things. And we pray with, with the right heart. But the effectual fervent prayer, being a prayer of faith, is a prayer that is driven by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so what we need, we need the Lord to send His Spirit that we would know Holy Ghost fervent praying. That our faith would be intensified so that we pray in our praying and pray these fervent prayers. I didn't put these words in the Scriptures. I believe that God is pleased to answer prayers that are weak in faith. Prayers that have small faith, like mustard seed, but yet they are real prayers of real faith, and God answers those prayers. But at the same time, I don't want to minimize the importance that God places that our prayers are not to be dull and lifeless and unbelieving. They are to be prayers that are fervent. And we pray that God would help us in this place to pray these fervent prayers. So the believer is not hesitant. 
And the believer is persistent. The believer shows this increasing urgency. And praise God, the importunate believer gets through to God, blessed with God answering their prayers. Now, what you cannot miss is that verse number 13 seems to give us a single answer to the prayers of God's people. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? There have been multiple petitions given earlier on in the chapter. And it seems to be the case that the Holy Spirit is the sum answer to all those petitions. That is, the outpouring of the Spirit, whereby God's name is hallowed, His kingdom comes, and His will is done. And it's even through the Spirit of God that we are preserved and kept in this world. It's through the Spirit that we desire sin's forgiveness. It is by the Spirit that we are led not into temptation. And so the Father can give eggs and fish and bread, but the Heavenly Father can give the Holy Spirit. And so the contrast again is seen in the parable that we get basic necessities from our earthly father, but we get infinite basic necessities from our heavenly father. And the basic necessity of the gift of the Holy Spirit as needful to our souls as bread is to our bodies. And we get it in answer to prayer. You see, remember the Spirit of God is what we need to fellowship with God. It is by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. It is by the Spirit that we gain victory over sin. It is by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. It is by the Spirit we grow in the Christian graces. It is the fruit of the Spirit that is worked in our hearts by God's grace. It is by the Spirit that we enjoy unity as the people of God, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It is by the Spirit that we know happiness in our homes. The context of Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit, then goes on to deal with husbands and wives and the role of children in the home. It is by the Spirit that we know protection and spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter 6. It is by the Spirit that we seek first the kingdom. It is by the Spirit that the kingdom grows. It is the perpetual need of the child of God, day by day, to cry unto the Heavenly Father for the Spirit of God to pour out. And without the Spirit of God living and active in our lives, we are absolutely nothing individually and as a church. The importunate believer knows what he needs in his approach to God, and that is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.